Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. We're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, looking at the cross-shaped life, and uh, still thinking now in this uh, last part of the Gospel of Mark with our eyes on the cross, uh, as Jesus' eyes were on the cross, even in what he was doing in this passage that we'll read today. It's on page 1078, if you're going to use one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you. Mark chapter 11, we'll read verse 12 through 25. Hear now God's holy and true word. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that you have gathered us here and in your name. And we thank you that we have righteousness in Christ. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us now and give us eyes to see and ears to hear that this passage would make us new, transform us. We thank you for the power of your word and ask that we would experience that even now and that you would use this time to equip us to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know I have a kindergartner, five-year-old, Noah, and um, a couple of weeks ago he started showing me this trading card that he had received from a friend one one card and it's one of those games where you kind of trade the different cards with your buddies and different cards represent different things and and stuff like that Uh, so he kept showing me this one card and he kept mentioning dad i have this one card and i was a little too dense to recognize at first that one card is actually not really enough to play those card trading games. You need 
multiple cards. And so he finally realized that his dad's a little dense and, and said to him, he said to me, Dad, can I have more cards? Can we buy more cards? Because everybody plays this at my school and I only have one card, like I've told you. <laughs> and so, you know, I realized, wow, it's, uh, I, now I know what you want. And, uh, and I felt, actually my heart went out to him because I know that what he wanted more than cards was to be included in what these kids were doing. That's what he really wanted. And uh, so I said, Noah, I'm going to buy you every card on the planet. And then I went to Walgreens and saw how much, how much they cost. And now I'm like, Noah, one card's not bad <laughs> if you play it right. Um, maybe I'll get him some cards. But in, in the human heart is a longing to belong, a longing to be included. And uh, it is a... It's a sweet thing, it's a sweet feeling to, to know that someone or some group of people wants you included in what's happening. And one of the things that we see in this passage is Jesus acting in a way we really haven't seen him act in this gospel. He is uh, abrupt, he is presumably very loud and even somewhat violent, flipping tables. And what's so powerful and beautiful about this is it's really because the temple, which was to be a place where God met with his people, uh, it was supposed to be a place that was inclusive, but it had become a very exclusive place. And it was supposed to be a place of very authentic and real connection between God and his people, and it had become a very inauthentic uh, place. And Jesus knowing what he was going to do on the cross, shows us his anger over this situation so that you and I would know how much the Lord God wants us included in what he's doing and that we would have authentic and true relationships with him. And so he died on the cross to get rid of the exclusivity and to empower the authenticity in worship. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, that faith in Christ enables us to have inclusive and authentic worship. Inclusive and authentic worship, okay? So if you're going to make an outline, here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about three things, the tree, the temple, and the cross. The tree, the temple, and the cross. We'll start out by talking about the tree, and uh, we, we have a Mark and Sandwich here. You remember the, the Mark and Sandwich? Mark does this a few times in his gospel where he starts a story, interrupts it with a second story, and then finishes the first story. And by looking at those outside pieces, we are able to understand better what's happening in the center of the sandwich. So we'll talk about the tree first. So let's look at verses 12 through 14. And then also uh, 20 through 21, we'll look at the whole tree situation and how that helps us understand the temple. Uh, so talking about the tree, starting in verse 12, really what we want to see here is that the tree wasn't fulfilling its purpose. Okay? And therefore it was depriving people of a physical necessity, which would be food. That's what we're going to see here. The tree was not fulfilling its purpose. Verse 12, they're coming uh, back from Bethany. They're, they're going and Jesus is hungry. Okay, remember, Jesus is fully human being. He's hungry and sees in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He goes over to see if he can find anything. And when he comes to it, he finds nothing but leaves. So in verse 14, look at verse 14. It's a very interesting reaction of Jesus. 
He says to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And he said it and his disciples heard it. And so then look down at verse 20. Here's the conclusion of that story. Uh, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree that, uh, that was withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look. So Jesus comes up to this tree and it doesn't have anything on it. And so he curses it and he kills it. And what's interesting, a couple of things to note about this is this is Jesus' last miracle before he goes to die on the cross. It's also his first destructive miracle. Okay. Now, what we need to realize is he's not, this is not an overreaction. Okay. This is not Jesus being so hungry that when there's nothing there, he destroys the tree because he's that hungry. This is not overreaction. This is teaching. This is taking full advantage of a situation that's very informative for helping understand what's wrong with the temple. Okay, so this is not an overreaction. Jesus is teaching. Now, something that can be kind of confusing about it is, as Mark says, it's not the season for figs. Did you see that? And so one of the things that's hard about that is it's kind of like, well, Jesus, there's not supposed to be figs there. Yet he still does this. And here's what uh, we need to understand. In the Old Testament, there's a couple references. One's in Hosea 9. And it kind of talks about there being two seasons to a fig tree. And horticulturally speaking, uh, what happens when a fig tree comes uh, back from the winter is first the leaves come in. And with the leaves, there are these little things called pegim. Uh, They're little like fig knobs. They're not figs. They're just little things that you can eat. And then later, the actual figs grow. Okay, and so when Jesus went up to this, seeing that the leaves were there, suggested to him that there should be these little fig knobs, which he should have been able to eat, which, by the way, I hear they're really gross. So if you get the chance, you might want to pass, but you can eat them. They can give you some sort of nourishment. And so in reality, there was supposed to be something there, but Jesus looking in the leaves finds exactly what it says, nothing but leaves. And so therefore his Need, his need for food, his hunger in that moment is not satisfied. The tree does not fulfill its purpose, depriving people of a physical necessity. And this helps us understand what's happening in the temple. Because in the same way that the tree didn't fulfill its purpose, the temple was not fulfilling its purpose either. So let's take a look at 15 through 19 and talk about the temple Because it's the same as the tree. The temple was not fulfilling its purpose and therefore was depriving people of a spiritual necessity in this case. And really it was depriving people of faith, of being able to have a relationship with God based on faith. That's why Jesus is angry here. And so Jesus comes in and here we see him in a way we haven't really seen him in this gospel. He enters in, he begins to drive people out, those that are buying, those that are selling. He's overturning tables of the money changers, people who are uh, selling the pigeons. He wouldn't allow anybody to walk through and carry things through the temple. I mean, this is like a shocking moment. Like you're not expecting this. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is flipping tables. Why? A couple things to note. Why are they buying and selling? Well, one thing you need to know, remember, it's the Passover time. So people are coming in to have their Passover sacrifices made, right? And a lot of the people that are coming in are from very far away. And they don't want to, they're Jews that live way far away from Jerusalem. And they don't want to have to bring animals all the way with them. So they buy them when they get there. It makes sense, right? What are the money changers doing there? Well, these Jews that came from faraway lands would have money from that land. And often those 
coins would have the images of wherever they were from, the rulers from those areas on them. And so they would exchange them for Jewish money. So then they could take their exchanged Jewish money and then buy the animals and then take the animals and have the sacrifice performed. So all these things were really a service. And think about this now. This is um, there, there's a lot of this happening here. OK, uh, in fact, one of the early church historians says that it's it's recorded that at one Passover uh, season, there was two hundred twenty five thousand animals sacrificed. OK, so there are tons of people and this is in an area, this outer court of the temple where this is taking place. And so there's tons of people out in this outer court. It's a very large place, the size of several football fields. And it's just filled with these people buying, selling animals, changing money, absolutely like a, just a big, huge flea market going on. And then we see Jesus do this thing. And the question is why? What's, what's going on here? And then look at 17 is, is the key. What he says in this moment is so telling. It helps us understand what's going on. Look at verse 17. He's going to quote from two different Old Testament prophets. And when we look at where those quotes come from, it's very eye-opening. So 17, here he goes. He says, he's teaching them and he's saying, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And so what we're going to see as we look at where these quotes come from is two things. That the temple had these two big problems. One, exclusivity. Okay? Big problem. Number two, inauthenticity. Big problem. That's what is showing uh, here. That's what is causing Jesus' anger. So let's take a look at those in turn. First, the exclusivity. Okay? The temple had become an exclusive place. It was supposed to be, as Jesus says, a house of prayer for all the nations, which he's quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah made it very clear that God wanted his people to be inclusive, that the worship should be inclusive. In fact, there are, uh, in Isaiah 42, he says, and you've surely heard this said before, that he told his people they were to be a light to the nations. Okay? In, verse, in uh, Isaiah 49, Isaiah says, speaking for God, that the people of Israel are to be a light to the nations and extending the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. And then Isaiah 56, God speaks to his people and says this. It's on the screen. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants... Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples or for all the nations. So in other words, the the temple was not supposed to be a place exclusively for Jews. It was supposed to be a place that was inclusive of Gentiles. That they would have a place as well. Those that wanted to join themselves to the Lord, as Isaiah says, or be his servants, uh, become his people, offer their sacrifices, have their sacrifices accepted because they claim his promises too. It's a picture of the temple being a place where not only do God's people worship, but the nations can be drawn in and come to know this God. And A lot of times we think, like the popular view of this passage is that you shouldn't ever sell things at church. The issue is not what they were doing as much as it was where they were doing it. Because this big, 
massive amount of commerce is happening in the outer court, which was known as the court of the Gentiles. In other words, this was supposed to be not where they're doing business. It was supposed to be the place where the Gentiles, where the nations could come and they could watch the people of Israel worship. And they could hear about this amazing God and his salvation. And they could, as Isaiah said, they could by faith join themselves to the Lord. So the problem wasn't what they were doing, it was where they were doing it. They were depriving the Gentiles of being able to interact with and and connect with the one true God and turn away from the idols and the false gods that they were worshiping and give themselves over to the Lord. So you can see why Christ, who loves the nations, would be angry in this moment. So in the Old Testament, we know that the worship was to be inclusive. There was to be a place where Gentiles could come and they could see, and it wasn't happening. And the reality is the way we can apply this is, number one, we can see Jesus' incredible love for you and I and desire for us to know that we are to be included by faith. But another thing we can do is apply this in realizing that in the New Testament as well, our worship is supposed to be inclusive. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that things are supposed to be done decently and in order. And he's really talking about so that if newcomers or guests or visitors are among you, that they know what's going on, that they can learn so they can see. He doesn't say that we change how we worship to accommodate the culture, but we take measures to make sure that people know that they are welcome here, that we want them included in what is going on. And so the church, which is not a temple, the church is us, the people, okay? Now we want to be having worship that is inclusive, uh, worship where guests, even skeptics, even non-believers know that they're welcome here, that we want them here, okay? A couple, couple things, just so you know, a couple things that we, we do here for this purpose is if you open your worship guide or your bulletin, you'll see the order of worship. Remember, we recently put that back. And a lot of you have come up and said, thank you so much for putting that back. Um, but And it was for you, and you're welcome. But a big piece of that is so someone who's never been here, which we've been seeing a lot of visitors lately, a lot of guests, we want them to know what's going on. So we put that in there. Another thing, too, I'm really excited about, if you look in front of you in your chair back pocket, um, there's this little card. And it simply explains why we do what we do so that as we do certain things, if somebody is new among us, they can look at this and they can understand what it's all about. So if you are a guest, you can take this with you. If you're not a guest, leave it. Okay? Unless you really want one, then let me know and we'll replace it. Uh, we can print these anytime. But see, there's, so those are a couple of things that we are doing and always wanting to be thinking about. How can we make sure that we want everybody to know? Or how can we make sure that everybody knows that they're welcome here? We want them included in what we're doing. A couple things we can do. Number one, as a church, we can let people in the community know that they're welcome here. We can tell people, we can mention to our friends, you know, you can come to my church anytime you want, even if you're not a Christian. You can just learn. You can just come and see what we do. Letting people know that is an important thing. Another thing we can do is be very intentional about welcoming guests and newcomers. Okay? And I want to sort of, I'm excited about this. I've had several people, new people tell me that when they came here, they were greeted and they were, they felt very welcome and it's a big part of why they've stayed. And I'm like, that's awesome. I have had a couple of people mention that, uh, they came here and week after week, nobody really said anything to them. So we, we, you know, this is an area where we can, we can do better. Okay. And so the commitment I made is I'm going to try to meet somebody new every single week. 
and I met five already today, okay? And I want to challenge you with that too. Whether it's before the service, during community time, or after, uh, let's just look around and see who we don't recognize and meet them. You know what's awesome about that? I have like five new friends now, okay? Gaining friends. It works. So that's what I want. That's what we need to do. We need to have these measures we take so that we are inclusive. We want everyone to know that no matter what they believe or what their background is, they're welcome to be here, watch us worship, and hear about this amazing God that we love and who loves us more than we'll ever be able to imagine. Okay? Uh, The second thing, so exclusivity was a problem, and Jesus fixes that. And the other problem is the inauthenticity. So look at the rest of that verse 17. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the issue is that the temple had become a place where uh, it was just inauthentic worship. They weren't really truly there to worship and commune with God. Now, this is actually pretty sharp here, what Jesus is doing. Um, So just be forewarned. But when he says you have made it a den of robbers, he's quoting from Jeremiah. And I want to read you a larger section of the sermon that Jeremiah preached at the temple. And so, you get a, so we can get a fuller understanding of what Jesus is basically saying here by quoting this sermon. So here's what Jeremiah said uh, uh, many uh, years before. He said, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered? Only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? A den of robbers, another way to say that would be a hideout. Like thieves would go into the city and they would steal. And then they would run back to a hideout in order to avoid getting caught and to avoid justice. And once everything kind of blew over, then they'd go back out and steal again. And so what Jeremiah is accusing the people of here is treating the temple like it's a robber's den. They are living, disregarding God's law. And then they come and they make their sacrifice in the temple as if that's a hideout. It's a place to come and avoid God's justice. It's not a place that they're communing and truly worshiping, but just a place where they're coming to get God off their back. Because they think that as long as they just make a sacrifice, it's all good. So for Jesus to quote this is not necessarily to accuse the Jews of that day of the exact same uh, sinful tendencies. But it is, in principle at least, to say that they were treating the temple like it was a place where they would simply come to do the sacrifice. It's not a place to really worship God. It's really a place to avoid him. And so in reality, in the way things were happening in the temple, uh, it wasn't just the Gentiles that were, being keep, that were being kept from the grace of God. It was the Jews too. God didn't want his people, doesn't want his people just to show up and go through motions. He really wants us to truly worship him, to know him, 
to become more like him. And this is, you know, when I was growing up, this is so interesting because when I was growing up, this is how it was for me. I just kind of, I went to church every week. And so I have a real burden for the young uh, crowd to hear this. It's it, church. When we come to worship, it's not just coming to get God off our back. It's, I kind of thought that since I'm not a good person, uh, I go to church every week and that makes me a good person. So I just kind of go and do the songs and whatever. And then now I'm good. And that's not the way it is. Okay. It's not the way it is. We're not saved by works. That's what that would be. Salvation by works. And that's not how it is. God is so gracious. God saves us through faith. And he wants for us way more, way more. He wants for us to know him, to come to learn about him. Uh, he wants us to worship him, to truly worship him, be in awe of him. You know, you, come, you become like whatever it is you worship. That's why God is always calling us away from our idols. Because he wants us to become like him, free and good. We don't want to come here to get God off our back. We want to come to get him deeper and deeper and deeper into our desperate hearts. We don't want to come here to do something to avoid God's justice, but rather to celebrate and to marinate in and to learn about the mercy of God in Christ. When we just come and go through the motions, it's inauthentic and it's, it keeps it. We rob ourselves of experiencing God's true and amazing grace. So Jesus not only died to make worship a place of inclusivity, but also to make it authentic. And this, this, these two things uh, did not make the uh, authorities of the temple happy at all. Look at verse 18. You see right there, the uh, chief priests and the scribes, they hear this and they, need, they want to destroy him. They want to take him out. And uh, they're afraid of him because people are listening to him. And they're, they're astonished by him. And they do destroy him. They do. That's what's happening on the cross. They're destroying him. But he's allowing it to happen. So that the temple can be destroyed as well. Let's talk about the cross. The cross. Look at 22 through 25. Um, I wish we had more time to really look at some of the things in here. I want to really go big picture. Talk about the cross, verse 22 through 25, because really on the cross is is where uh, we are enabled to have inclusive and authentic worship. It's through what Jesus has done on the cross. Okay, 22 through 25 talks about two things. Faith, having faith in God. So right after the situation with the temple, he's saying, have faith in God. And he says that uh, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and and does not doubt in his heart and believes uh, what he says will come to pass and it will be done for him. And 24 is uh, powerful. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. One of the things to keep in mind about this is he's not simply saying that whatever you pray for, you're going to get it. Remember, he's taught them. He's taught us how to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And when we do pray and our prayers become more and more aligned with God's will for the world and for our lives, he does use our prayers to do amazing things. So this is not saying Jesus is a genie, but it is saying that he does use our prayers. Our prayers are absolutely critical. And we could spend more time on that. But I want to just uh, lastly here to zoom in on this reality of the fact that after this situation with the temple where there's exclusivity and inauthenticity, he says, have faith. And he says, forgive. So the focus is on faith and that we can forgive and the father forgives us. And what's so beautiful and powerful about that is think about this. What is the antidote antidote to exclusivity? 
And it's faith. It's remembering that it doesn't matter what somebody has done. It doesn't matter where somebody's been. It doesn't matter what gods they've worshipped. Anyone and everyone who wants to trust in Christ, all they have to do is trust in Christ. Repent of their sin and trust in Christ. And that is the great equalizer. That we're saved by grace through faith. Anybody who comes here. So we want anybody and everybody to come here so they can hear about this merciful God who will forgive them and declare them righteous if they will trust in the finished work of his son. See, we struggle with unbelief. Uh, It's hard to believe we're really declared righteous by faith alone. And that breeds exclusivity. But when we truly believe the gospel, when we believe that it's by faith, we want everybody here, right? Okay, so, so faith is the antidote uh, to exclu- exclusivity or positively. The key to inclusivity is faith, that we know that we're justified by faith. What is the antidote to inauthenticity? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. The key to authenticity is forgiveness, knowing that We don't come to worship to get God off our back to just avoid his justice. His justice has been served on the cross. So we come here to experience the reality of that. We come together to celebrate that we are forgiven, that there's nothing between God and us but his love because Jesus has taken all of our sin onto his back and then received the wrath of God on top of that. That's amazing news. And the more that we know that we're truly forgiven, the more authentically we stand here Sinners, but simultaneously justified, forgiven of all of our sin. And that is what breeds authenticity. It is powerful, powerful, powerful when you know you are forgiven. Um, Many of you were serving our city yesterday through the Saturday of service. And some of us went over to the Forrest Flanagan Memorial bike ride. And we rode this um, about six miles to remember Dr. Forrest Flanagan, which many of you know and loved. Um, Dr. Flanagan was a member here, uh, is the, was the husband of Kristen and the father of Chipper and Nelson and Spencer, um, a leader at Wycliffe, a really great man. And two years ago, a young man who was high on synthetic Marijuana was driving down the road and Forrest happened to be riding his bicycle and this young man sort of passed out or something and lost control of the car and drove off the road, hitting and killing Forrest immediately. And it was, it was hard yesterday to, to realize it's been two whole years. But it reminded me of uh, one of the moments in pastoral ministry that I'll just never, ever forget. I was with the family at the sentencing for this young man. And um, the oldest son, Chipper, was given the opportunity to speak on behalf of himself and on behalf of his family um, in a way that, should he so choose, would impact the sentencing. And so Chipper takes that time to not say really much of anything to the judge. In fact, he kind of said, you can do whatever you want to do. And he directed the rest of his time right to this young man who had killed his father. 
And he looks at him and he says all sorts of things, uh, really focusing on one thing. He was telling him, I forgive you. I forgive you and my family forgives you. And if you will trust in Christ, God forgives you. It's unbelievable. And the whole room was absolutely affected. It was so real. It was so clear that Chipper was not kidding. He was 100%. I don't know how, but he, was, he forgave this kid who killed his dad. And every time we think about the cross, it is God saying authentically, permanently, powerfully, I forgive you. You are forgiven. Do you hear that this morning? You who believe, you are forgiven. All the things that you're carrying with you, all the regret that you have, all the shame that you bear, it's gone. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Jesus has paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. And he washed it white as snow. And that creates and results in authentic worship. So the cross is the way to be inclusive and to be authentic forever. The way to connect with God is not a building. It's not a temple. It's a person and his people. And it's amazing. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are people in this room who are thinking of things that they are perhaps saying, there's no way God would forgive me for that. Father, I just pray that your love and power will show those people that, yes, even that. And that you would help them to see that we want them here, that you want them here. And Lord, let us be a church that is ever increasingly inclusive by living and loving the way that Christ enables us to by the power of the Holy Spirit. And would you make this a place where we don't go through the motions, but we, week after week, bow before you and your Son who has paid our debt. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.